Welcome to Value Investing, the Starvine Way, where my goal is to help you learn more about value investing and compounding wealth with a long-term focus. We will accomplish this by sharing a mix of monologues and conversations. I'm your host, Stephen Coe, founder of Starvine Capital. This podcast is for informational purposes only. Information relating to investment approaches or individual investments should not be construed as investment advice or endorsement. Listeners should seek advice that reflects their personal financial situation. Today, we are rejoined with Dr. George Athanasakos, who was introduced in an earlier episode. He is a professor of finance and Ben Graham Chair in Value Investing at the IV Business School, and he is the founder and managing director of the Ben Graham Center for Value Investing. I wanted to speak with Dr. Athanasakos about his recently published book, Value Investing from Theory to Practice, and was able to get caught up with him during his European tour to give value investing presentations overseas. So first of all, I read your entire book, and I want to thank you for completing this ambitious project, Dr. Thanasakos, uh, which I trust has garnered interest from other universities implementing a value investing course. And I just want to say I especially appreciate the attention to the practical aspects of investing that most investing courses and, and books do not cover. I could just start by reading uh, your quote from the opening of the book. It says here that value investing is not just about investing. It is also a way of life and a lifestyle. Patience, discipline, humility, and a long-term perspective are traits that define one's character, personality, and temperament, and lead not only to good investing results, but also to a balanced and long life. But one of the, the many aspects of the book that definitely receives little to no attention in finance courses that is the focus on a certain character and temperament that you see as critical to being a value investor. Your research was based on extensive interviews with well-known successful value investors. And you even developed a questionnaire with a strong scoring system that helps participants realize whether they have the right mentality for value investing. So just how consistent were the value investors under your study in terms of personality traits uh, that you see as being key? A lot, all of them actually had very common characteristics. That is, they were against the herd, they were long-term, they're patient, they're disciplined. And, you know, this, this commonality of characteristics made a lot of value investors believe that value investing actually is a profession, whereas money management is a business. Okay, so it's a profession like the med- medicine or law, whereas money management is a business. And this, irrespective of whether you're following a deep value approach or you're following a quality long-term buy-and-hold Buffett approach. I did other surveys besides the one that I quote in the book, and they all lead to the same thing, that value investing is a profession. So a lot of, a lot of commonality. I mean, I didn't see somebody who said, well, you know, I'm patient, but I follow the, the, <laughs> the herd. They're all, you know, patient, long run against the herd, not really in a haphazardous way, but more in an educated way, going against the herd. And, and as you know, you know, it's very difficult to outperform if you're just following what everybody else is doing. So very consistent, the behavior of value investors. You don't see this consistency in money managers. They've got different points of view. That's why I think one is a profession, the other is a business. And that's why most value investors tend to be more ethical investors tend to be more putting their own wealth with that of their clients 
you don't see this a lot in the other profession, in the other, in my management in general. When you ask them, I guess, they have integrity, 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 and humility, humility, humility. You'd never see value investors, you know, beat the chest and say, I'm the best of the best. You don't see this in, in, in money management. I mean, management, you see all these type A personalities that uh, beat the chest and they they hit, you know, a home run and they, they think that uh, <laughs> they are the messiahs. You don't see this in the value investing. And one of the personality traits that I picked up from that questionnaire was the characteristic of frugality and, of course, the preferring to stand alone from the crowd. Can you just speak to how those traits stood out to you when you were doing your research? Today, one word that's cheap. The value investors are cheap. I see successful value investors who are driving a 10-year-old plastic fund. You don't see this in other areas. Many value investors who have considered investing in a company and they go to pay a visit uh, to this company. And when they see in the parking lot Lamborghini and Ferraris, they just turn around and leave. I mean, Enron in the parking lot had 20 Lamborghinis, uh, 10 Bugattis, uh, Ferraris, and you know what happened to the company. Because you know these people are not there. They're there for the show. Okay, They're not there for the client. Would you say that character is a function of maturity? I mean, if you had um, students taking your survey near the end of the book, and they score low on your questionnaire, let's say they're the type that the first thing they, they want to do with a windfall is go and, and buy a Lamborghini. What is the prospect in your eyes of someone that scores low growing into the character needed to be a successful value investor? Some people are born with a strong character. They've got in their DNA a strong character. They're lucky those people who were born with the right value investing DNA. On the other hand, if you've got people with innate characteristics that are away from value investing, these people are very difficult to change. I mean, these are the people, I guess, that they go into Bitcoin and you know, all these kind of exotic futures markets. Of course, when you deal with other people who are more open-minded, more passionate about investing, have more curiosity, these people can change. And these people can train and devise strategies, actually, to help them deal with the characters of value investors. I remember reading about John Maynard Keynes, who, when he was younger, he was not a value investor. And he actually lost a lot of money. And then he became a bottom-up value investor, and he made a lot of money for the endowments in UK that he was managing. So it depends, I guess. If you've got strong character, and this character is a way out right field from value investing, it's very difficult to change. Whereas those who are more open-minded and curious and have a passion about investing, these guys can change. The book provides an extensive framework on how to identify and calculate value for investment opportunities and, and also understanding important the qualitative aspects like barriers to entry and company strategy. But when it comes to practice, what kind of basic checklist, in your opinion, should be used to avoid what you term as value traps, and you do write about that in the book, to avoid those value traps and the psychological missteps? Yeah, let's do the, the second one first, uh, psychological missteps. You know, humans are not rational. Many psychologists have demonstrated this, and one of them, Daniel Kahneman, who won Nobel Prize. And he said that people are not rational, they are not patient, they're not disciplined, they panic, they get greedy, 
They follow the crowd because humans are social beings. They like to be with the crowd. When they see, I guess, the crowd going one way, they say, oh, maybe the crowd knows something I don't, and they go with the crowd. So all these are emotional characteristics, and emotions, as you know, cloud one's decision-making abilities. You need to train yourself. You need to devise strategies, because unless you are very lucky in your bond with DNA, like, you know, Francis Chu, I guess, he was born with a DNA of value investor. Most of us, we have to train ourselves and devise strategies. I have a, a checklist, I guess, of what things people have to force themselves into doing to train themselves. And I want to give you a simple example. Humans always think in binary terms, that they should I do this or should I should do that? For example, you know, you want to lose weight and you say, should I eat dessert of the dinner or not? Now, if you put like a binary decision, Sometimes you're going to eat dessert, sometimes you're not eat dessert. And I say, you know, what if you say to yourself, I never eat dessert after dinner? Then it's no longer to do this or that. It's a unitary decision. That's why I tell people, tell yourself, I never make impulsive decisions. No matter who told me, I never make impulsive decisions. Always look before I jump. So I step back, I think about this in a more rational way. That's one. The other is, don't follow the crowd. Think always of the opposite. Not again, casually in a more sort of structured way. And Seth Klarman actually said that in the long run, the crowd is wrong. Try to follow the crowd. I know this is not really consistent with human behavior. When the market tanks, <laughs> people are afraid and panic and they sell. When the market is going up, they get exuberant and they buy. And of course, this is not really a good behavior. So if you go back like the last two or three big market collapses, if investors have done the opposite of what everybody else was doing, they would have done very well. First, the second one, don't follow the crowd. Think of the opposite. This goes against human nature, but you got to tell yourself, this time I'm going to go against my human nature. I'm going to try to take an opposite position. Always helps to have an analytical process of when I buy, when I sell. This process prevents your emotions from overwhelming you. Have a checklist. Put down 10 things that you need the stock to have to be attractive to you. And make sure you check all the 10 points. And always I feel, even, you know, even Buffett talks to Munger. So always say, talk to a knowledge of friend, especially if you can get a mentor. Mentors always help. Instead in your thinking, and your decision-making abilities. So that's a checklist, I guess, about avoiding the weaknesses of human nature. Now, the value traps are it's more difficult. Many times you realize the value trap after it's too late. <laughs> uh, and the question is, you know, can I prevent finding myself in the value trap after the fact? What are value traps? Value traps are stocks that look like a bargain based on price to earn and price to book, but they fail to recover within a three to five years. At worst, they go bankrupt, either because there's a shift in the company's business or a change in the environment in which the company operates. Now, these changes are not cyclical. These changes are structural, secular, permanent in nature. The most, I guess, obvious one and the, the most frequent, I guess, value trap that someone thinks about is a dying industry. And why, I guess, there's a dying industry? A dying industry because of technological change or because of 
changes on tastes for consumers or because of government regulation changes. So what I say to people, very important, is read, read, read. Okay, you got to read business magazine, technology magazines, industry magazines. By doing this, you try to figure out where there is smoke. Normally, when there is smoke, there's fire. And also read history. Read history, read history, read history, because history repeats itself. And you can see how technology changes or government regulation or whatever else, how in the past affected industries. And this can give you a hint about the future. Now, there are other, of course, other possible value traps in the sense that what is leading perhaps to a permanent loss of capital. Okay, so I think more broadly that these value traps are those that lead to permanent loss of capital and can be over and above a dime industry. For example, you have a value trap because of bad management, especially when you have a company that operates in a commodity business, bad management will force the company into bankruptcy. For bad managers, for those who lack of industry experience of relevant background, those that create complex corporate structures that even no human can really manage. At one point, I get GE was like this because I don't think any human could manage GE with all this complexity that they had. Also, managers who go into a M&A spree, serial acquirers, especially when they take on a lot of debt. Because we know, in general, nine out of 10 of mergers fail. And when they fail and you get a lot of debt, you go bankrupt and they have permanent loss of capital. Okay, so poor management can lead to not a typical value trap, but can lead to permanent loss of capital. Also, you know, bad companies, and of course, dying industry is a bad company, which are bad companies. Or bad companies are, again, companies that are complex, complex corporate structures. Companies that have aggressive accounting, aggressive revenue recognition, uh, that is stating the number for the time, non-transparent accounting, companies with a lot of debt, a lot of debt, debt more than what a typical company in the industry has. And of course, the, the dying industry because of technology change or, or government regulation or consumer taste changes. Because when you have bad management, bad, uh, bad company, and also bad strategies, a change in the business model can lead to a the wrong against change in the business model can lead to a permanent loss of capital. I remember there was a company in Quebec which is called Shermac. Shermac was a good company that was manufacturing furniture. So the business model was manufacturing good quality furniture. And I remember I, because some students did the project, I went back to, to a furniture store and I was saying, what do you think of this Shermac furniture? It's more great quality, you know, we love the, the company and so on. And then for whatever reason, the company decided to close all these plants in Quebec and go in a joint venture in China. So the business model changed now. They became from manufacturers, distributors, distributors of, of bad Chinese, Chinese furniture. And you can see within like a year, I went back to the same furniture stores and I said, what do you know, Sherman? And I said, no, no, they hate, we hate this company. You know, it's bad furniture. And they went bankrupt. So bad policies also can produce value traps. So that's, I guess, a quick overview of some of the things I'm thinking about. But again, the bottom line is read, read, read. Read to understand the company, the industry, what's happening in the industry, 
and if they smoke, that's fine. I think uh, those examples just show how important it is to really dig deep, especially beginner value investors. There's always this allure of the cheap multiple and perhaps the subconscious desire to make quick money off some kind of re-rating. But you you point out some really strong examples there. Before I let you go, I would just like to cover uh, one thing here. That is, given how important sensible investing can be for one's well-being over lifetime, and that many of your students will at some point open a brokerage account and pick stocks for themselves. What are the most critical lessons you would like them to retain as they finish your course? You know, generally, my advice to not only to students, to anybody, is a three-step thing. First, you must have reasonable intelligence. You don't need to be an Einstein. Buffett says, what we do is simple, but not easy. And then he says, if you got an IQ of 150, sell 30 points to somebody else, you don't need it. A lot of successful people are intelligent, he says, but intelligence has nothing to do with the success. It's more of a frame of mind of making decisions. They understand very clearly the weakness of human nature. They understand very clearly the biases that institutions have, and they have a passion about investing and more importantly, the right character. So that's the first thing. You got to have reasonable intelligence and you got to have the right frame of mind in making decisions. The second is you got to have sound principle of operations. That is, you need to understand the business you're investing in. The math can be great, the formulas can be great, the spreadsheets can be great, but you understand the business, you're never going to be a good investor. Then you need to have the proper valuation model. Third, it's important to take a holistic approach to investing. That is, you need to understand finance, accounting, strategy, economics, psychology. Then it's always better to deal with simple companies and simple structures because you understand them better. Read, again, back to history. Read, read, read about the history of financial markets. There's a book that they always tell people, go and buy this book called The Panic of 1907. If you read this book, you're going to think you are in 2008. Whatever happened in 07, happened 1907, happened in 2008. Also, you've got to do your own homework and be independent. In this world, everybody has conflicts. No one is watching your back. That's your job. And finally, you've got to put your money where your mouth is. That is, put your money in your best ideas. It's very difficult to understand 100 companies, but you understand better 20 companies. If 20 companies have your best ideas, you can put a lot of money in each one of them, whereas if you put your money in 100 companies, which you don't understand very well, you cannot put a lot of money into one of them. And to make money, you've got to invest money. So that's the second step, the sound principle of operation. And the last step is which I already referred to. You've got to develop and work on the character of investing success, on the value of investing character. And like I said, if you are born with this DNA, you're the most likely person. For most of us, actually, we have to train ourselves and devise strategies. So you've got to work on your character. And I gave you the points before. Never make impulsive decisions. Always think of the opposite. Develop an analytical process. 
I have a checklist, I have a mentor. And as you said at the opening statements, I strongly believe if you follow these three steps, not only will you do well in investing, but also you're going to do well in life. Patience, discipline, long-term perspective are traits that define your personality, your character. And this will lead not only to good investing results, but a balanced and long life. And that's another benefit, I guess, of value investing. Value investors tend to live long. Well, I think that's some amazing advice, George. And I really need to thank you for that guidance, which is also very helpful to me. And once again, congratulations for finishing this ambitious project that is your new textbook. I really look forward to speaking again soon. Thanks. Take care. Bye, Stephen. If you would like to learn more about Dr. Thanis Sackos' book, Value Investing from Theory to Practice, the details can be found at bengraminvesting.ca or valueinvestingeducation.com. I hope you enjoyed this episode, and if you did, please like and share. Questions can be sent to podcast at starvinecapital.com. Lastly, thank you for the reviews on Apple Podcasts, as that helps us get discovered.